Pastor Haji understands the hatred of radical Muslims because he used to be one of them. He was so devout, he was sent to Saudi Arabia for special training. As we stood outside the hut, Haji had his arm around the evangelist that brought us to meet him. Nodding his head toward the evangelist, he said five words that I will never forget. I used to beat him. I used to beat him. Haji went on to tell us that he was the leader of a radical Islamic group of young men, and part of their holy duty to their prophet was attacking and harassing Christians. And one of those that they attacked regularly was this very evangelist, the man now smiling with Haji's arms draped loosely around his shoulders. In spite of beatings, the evangelist refused refused hatred for his attackers. Instead, he showed them love and offered them blessings and good news. Haji had no explanation for such a response. How could a man that you were beating show love to you? How could he not grow angry and fight back? Well, eventually, Haji's heart was won by the gospel message and the love of the Christian man that he had repeatedly attacked. He left the the vitriol and violence of Islam for peace beyond his own understanding. This follower of Christ was able to forgive a Muslim for beating him many times over. Well, as I read that story, I thought, why do I struggle to bear with someone who simply irritates me because of a pet peeve? Well, in this final installment of our One Another series, our focus is on this biblical imperative to bear with one another. I've mentioned before as we've worked through the series that there are 59 of these one another commands in the New Testament, but I discovered something I'd never heard before this week. Of these 59 one another statements in the New Testament, one third of them deal with the unity of the church body. And another third of them instruct us to love one another. So two-thirds of the one another passages are directly reflected by the idea of loving and being unified as God's people. That caused me to think this. Garden Way Church is only united to the extent that we love one another. I like how one commentator put it. The primary activity of the church is one anothering one another. Isn't that a great statement? That's what we're supposed to be busy doing, one anothering one another. Well, as we've been learning about these one another statements, and I know that many of us experience this firsthand, every relationship that we have in this world can falter easily. If we don't work at it, our idiosyncrasies will become irritations, and our unity will unravel. That's why we must follow this exhortation in Ephesians 4.3 for us to be eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Are you eager to pursue peace with God's people? Now my guess is, if you're anything like me, there's some annoying people in your life, Right? producing those very pet peeves that irritate you so much. 
Maybe you have some corrosive Christians eating away at your insides. Maybe you have somebody getting on your nerves on a regular basis. Do you have some brothers or sisters that simply just rub you the wrong way whenever you're around them? Author Donald Smith says that our pent-up exasperation with people can send us into one of two modes, what he calls a reactionary rampage or a silent seethe. We either explode or we just pack it inside. And so it's no wonder, no surprise, that Scripture has so much to say about bearing with one another. This phrase, bear with, means to endure patiently, to put up with, to be indulgent, to suffer. It has the idea of long-suffering and being slow to anger. Now, it occurs to me that we don't do much bearing with others these days. In our 21st century culture, we, what do we do? We sound off, we're good at doing that. Or we run off, just disengage, we're pretty good at that. Or we run somebody else off out of our life. We fight, we take stands, we argue, but seldom do we just put up with people. Seldom are we eager to pursue unity with people that might be a little hard for us to put up with. This phrase, bear with, occurs 17 times in the New Testament. One of those times is interesting to me. It's a time when Jesus himself is frustrated with the weak faith of his own disciples. In Matthew 17, 17, Jesus says, you unbelieving and perverted generation. Now these are the people that are following him. You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Even Jesus had some pet peeves that he had to deal with. Ephesians 4 verse 2 gives us a recipe of four ways to cut others some slack. Paul writes, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And so this all leads to our main idea for today, and that is this. Because Jesus bears with us, we can bear with one another. Let's read this statement together. Because Jesus bears with us, we can bear with one another. You see, friends, we are called to put up with different personalities, different preferences, different perspectives. And so today's text is going to guide us in this direction. And so at this time, if you're able, I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. And Dee Jenkins is going to come and be our scripture reader today. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one, one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Dee. So as we work through this passage from Romans, we're going to briefly explore six ways to bear with those who irritate us. And in this text, Paul is writing to two very distinct groups of people in the Roman church. Those that he calls the weak and those that he calls the strong. And each of these groups irritated one another. There's a lot of pet peeves in the Roman church. The strong saints had no problem eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols down the street at the idol temple. While the, eat, the weak people felt that by eating that meat, a person would become spiritually contaminated. And so this weak group followed a very strict diet, and they felt that some days were more spiritual than others. These weaker believers bothered the stronger believers who felt that they could eat a ribeye steak whenever they wanted to, and they could worship on any day that they wanted to. And so we could say that one group hadn't fully grasped the extent of their freedom in Christ, while the other group exercised their freedom with a, a clear conscience, but they didn't bear with other believers who disagreed. And so there were a lot of pet peeves in that church. And friends, we can easily fall into this thinking when we believe that the way that we do things or our particular perspective is proper and right and that those who differ from us must somehow be wrong. Some of us may even go out of our way to try to control what other believers do or what they believe in some particular area where it's really important to us. We secretly judge, or some of us even outwardly judge, those that don't meet our particular standards. In fact, it's likely that most of us would probably categorize ourselves as strong as we kind of wonder why there's so many people weaker than we are. Why don't they just get their acts together? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, one commentator put it this way. An immature Christian is someone who has a PhD in other sins and a junior high diploma in their own. I like that. Real clear here for just a moment. We are, are not talking about tolerating someone's clear sin or rebellion to God's word. But we are called to give grace to those who are wired a bit differently than we are. And these differences are sometimes expressed in personal preferences, or they may be just annoying habits or our own pet peeves. Because here's the reality. The person who rubs me the wrong way may not be sinning against me, but I can very easily sin against him or her 
through my attitude or my actions. And so for a few minutes together, I want to explore our role in bearing with one another. So as we bear with one another, the first thing that we're called to do is to put up with people. Thank you, Phil. Phil didn't want to put up with my coughing. (laughs) Thank you, brother. We are called to put up with people. If you've got the outline in your program this morning, you're a note taker, you can jot some of these down. I want you to look at verse one. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. The stronger believers are to bear with believers who mess up. When Paul uses the word obligation, what he's really saying is that we are bound by Christ to bear with one another. This is not an optional think about, you know, being a little nicer to one another. Paul's saying, come on, get it together. Bear with one another. In our world where we easily just cancel people or ghost them, just disappear out of their life, or we are hypercritical about all kinds of things, in this day and age, we are called to endure the frustration of living closely with others as we tolerate disputable matters that we may disagree with, or we simply put up with personality quirks and preferences that are a bit different than ours. We are challenged to restrain our own natural reaction towards odd or difficult people by just letting them be themselves without thinking that they need to be more like me. Wouldn't that be great? If everybody's just like me, the world would be a great place. (laughs) Except what a mess that would be. The, The key to this idea of putting up with one another is found in the very last part of this verse. He says, Paul says, and not to please ourselves. Friends, what is Paul saying there? It's not about me. It's not all about you. It's about what we can do to put up with others. Because Jesus bears with us. We are called to bear with one another. Now, not only are we to put up with people, but we're also called to, number two, to build up others. To build up others. Look at verse two. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good and to build him up. So when we bear with one another, we are allowing God to help us in his construction project, if you will, as he constructs other believers. But you know what happens? Instead, a lot of times, instead of building other people up, what do we do? We blast away at them. We are willingly or unwillingly participate in the process of tearing them down instead of building them up. And so we're not just called to endure people around us, but we're also called to encourage them. That's because God is committed to building people up and he is grieved when we demolish what he designs. You understand that every person is designed by God? And when we attack and tear down and demolish those people, we are attacking God's very design. God doesn't want us to put up obstacles in someone's spiritual growth. He longs instead for us to be builders in the body of Christ. And part of building others up is recognizing 
that, you know what, sometimes we might be the one irritating them. Ever think about that? That takes some self-awareness, doesn't it? And so if you know that you're rubbing somebody the wrong way with something that you're doing, some way that you're saying things, then maybe we all ought to just take a pause and think about, hey, maybe I should change rather than trying to change them to be like me. And that would be a part of that building up process because Jesus bears with us. We can bear with one another. Now, number three, we'll only put up and build up if we are looking up. So we need to look up. Look at verse three. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you, Father, fall on me. And so as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we'll be reminded that Jesus didn't come to be served. What did he say? He came to serve others and even to give his life as a ransom for many. In this verse here in in Romans 15, Paul is quoting from Psalm 69 to show that Jesus embraced the insults of irritating people. He embraced it. He didn't please himself. He took on the reproach, the attacks towards himself and towards his heavenly father, which were really not his to bear. But he willingly did that so that good could come to others. And friends, that is our model. If we find ourselves getting irritated and annoyed with people all the time, it may be because we're not looking up enough. Look up to Jesus and remember, he puts up with you and he bears with you as well as that person that's bugging you so much. And so when you look and lift up your eyes to Jesus and only see Jesus, you'll be far less prone to see the problems in other people's lives. Preacher Greg Laurie offers this advice. Before you get caught in the crazy cycle of hurt and forgiveness, try shifting your glance away from the one who hurt you and setting your eyes on the one who saved you. Doesn't that make all the difference in the world? Because Jesus bears with us, we can bear with one another. Well, if we're ever going to bear with the difficult people in our lives, then we also have to take the responsibility, number four, to grow up. Grow up in our own faith. Ever say that to your kids or your grandkids? Grow up. Come on. We grow by daily spending time in God's Word, by engaging in spiritual study and in discussion with other believers. And so, friends, if you are not involved on a weekly, on a regular basis with another small group of believers. Maybe it would be through one of our adult Bible fellowships that meet at nine o'clock, or maybe it's a midweek group that meets throughout the week. Maybe it's some other group that you have of a small group of believers where you can be challenged in God's word, in growing in God's word. If that's not happening, then you need to make it happen. Look at verse four. 
For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Well, when Paul uses that phrase, former days, he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures and the giving of instructions, things like the Ten Commandments. That was what they had as scriptures at that point in time. And the word endurance relates to how we deal with life's problems and with other people's weaknesses. The Bible encourages us so that we can be filled with hope, hope that others will change, and more importantly, hope that we will change. That's part of that growing up process, to understand I am in continually in this growing up process. None of us have arrived. And so are you in God's word regularly? Let me, let me just state this simply and strongly. It is impossible, impossible to grow as a believer, as a follower of Christ, if you are not allowing God's word to enter into your life on a regular basis. In 1 Peter 2.2, Peter links our growth to our spiritual diet when he says, like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. You ever heard a hungry baby? They make themselves known, don't they? They want that food. They want that milk. Do you have that kind of longing in your life for God's word? So desirous of God's word that you're crying out for it? You'd do anything to get that nourishment? We begin to change when we soak ourselves in Scripture. And so if you don't have a Bible reading program, please contact us at the church office. We'll give you some links online, or we can print it out for you. There are tons of great resources for you to read through God's scriptures on a daily basis. Grow up in God's word. Because Jesus bears with us, we can bear with one another. Number five, stand up. Stand up. Since God bears with us, we must be willing to stand up with those who have fallen down or are just a bit different than we might be. Look at verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Friends, do we understand that God's heart is for the church to be united and to stand together I've made my share of allowing my first impressions of people to keep me from, from being one in heart and mind with them. And perhaps you have too. I remember many years ago when I first moved to Portland to come to Bible college, I met a guy. He was a fellow student, one of my fellow students at Bible college. And he just rubbed me the wrong way. He irritated me. He was a former used car salesman. In fact, he was still a used car salesman. He was selling cars and going to Bible college at the same time. And he seemed arrogant and stuck up. And I figured I wanted nothing to do with that guy. But you know what happened? Over some time, I learned more about him. And I, I discovered things like he had survived a really, really tough family life as a child. He had some huge health issues. But you know what else I found out? God was in the process of changing him in radical ways. He was quite a bit older than I was. In fact, he was in his 60s when he came to go to Bible college with the rest of us who were in our 20s. 
He was a fairly new believer, new in, in the Lord. And I soon came to understand that he had a very unique way of reaching out to other people that were like him. Other people that probably would have rubbed me the wrong way had I met them. But God was using him. And so my attitude began to change, and over time, we became pretty good friends. You see, sometimes we simply need to endure a bit to get to know people before we conclude that they irritate us. So friends, let's cut people some slack and recognize we seldom know the whole story. And so instead of judging our brothers and sisters, let's try standing up with them. Because Jesus bears with us. We can bear with one another. And then finally, number six, the ultimate goal or the reason why we are to bear with one another is so that we can bring glory to God. And so we're called to speak up. Look at verse six, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase, one voice, means with one accord. And it's only possible when there is no contention and strife. You see, when we allow other believers to bug us, then our worship is going to be short-circuited. Our, our, our service is going to just fall apart. And it's going to sound like an ugly mess instead of together standing with one voice glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wynton Marsalis is the artistic director of jazz at the Lincoln Center for Performing Arts in New York City. He's earned a, a Pulitzer Prize. He's written several books. He's won nine Grammys. And he is considered by many to be one of the greatest trumpet players of all time. Well, one late Tuesday evening at a jazz club in Greenwich Village in New York City, he was playing on his trumpet without any accompaniment. And as he neared the end of a song, the sound of someone's cell phone in the audience began to rise. You know how it gets light at the beginning, it gets louder and louder? You know what it was like. And that cell phone ruined the drama of the moment as he was playing this beautiful music on his trumpet. It was so bad that there was a jazz critic there in the audience, and he scrawled on a sheet of notepaper and held it up. Magic ruined. And soon people began to chatter and complain. Some complained about the arrogant jazz critic who would hold up a sign in the middle of this jazz set. Others complained about who's stupid enough to have their cell phone on in the middle of a concert. But Marsalis, you know what he did? He simply improvised. With his trumpet, he began to play the notes of the cell phone ring. <laughs> Slow, fast, in different keys. And finally, when the complaints began to dwindle away and all ears were back on him, he seamlessly transitioned that silly cell phone tune back to the beautiful ballad that he was playing and finished his song. And in the words of that jazz critic who wrote about it later, he said, the ovation was tremendous. 
Friends, what do people hear from the church when we are griping about one another? How can they learn about God's glory if we are not speaking with one harmonious voice in order to make him look good to others? Do you want to learn to bear with others? If so, then put up and build up and look up and grow up and stand up and speak up with one voice. And so as we prepare to leave today, I want to send you off with some very specific action steps to pursue this week as we get serious about bearing with one another. These are listed on that insert in your program. If you didn't get one when you came in, please pick one up as you go out because this is a homework assignment for you and you will be graded later. Let's look at this list for just a minute together. Action step number one, make a list of people who bug you. Oh, that's not hard to do, is it? Some of us will have a very lengthy list. People who have different political leanings than we do. People that have different ideas about different biblical themes than we might. Specific habits that irritate us. The list could be very long. Make a list of the people that bug you. And then after you finish that list, look through the names and I want you to find the common denominator. Are there some specific traits or attitudes that annoy you? Then ask God to help you see these people from his perspective. Step number two, pray for the list of those problem people. Not just one time. Don't just throw up a quick prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm done with that. Pray for two weeks. <clears throat> Your relationship with people who irritate you will radically change if you will pray for them by name for the next 14 days. I challenge you to do that. And I want to hear about your results. Because I believe that God will radically change us if we do that. Pray for the list of problem people for two weeks. Number three, ask God to change you. It's easy to focus on others' problems. But ask God to change you. As hard as I might try, very seldom can I change someone else. The problem is really not about other people. The problem is much more personal. It's about me. And I can ask God to do something about me. And so ask God to change you. Step number four, let go. Let go of the grudges. Forgive the faults. Release your grip on a grudge. Because you know what? If you don't, it's going to strangle you. The longer that you hold on to it, the more that it's going to get a hold of you. And so is there someone in your life that you haven't forgiven. And they irritate you so much. It eats at you. Friends, it's time. Time to let go of those grudges. And that leads right into step number five. Restore a broken relationship. So my challenge to you this week is what one positive step can you take this week to mend a fractured relationship? 
Somebody from that list, that lengthy list that you made in step number one. Pick one person. And this week, figure out one thing that you can do towards bringing about restoration of a relationship. Maybe you need to make a call. Maybe you need to write a note or a letter. Do something to restore a broken relationship, which brings us then to step number six, perform an act of service. Loving feelings tend to follow loving actions. If you wait for the feeling, you're going to be waiting for a long, long time. I found this great quote from the the great author, C.S. Lewis. I love this. He says, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, he writes, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. Isn't that great? When we begin to serve others, even when we don't feel like it, even when they irritate us and annoy us with all of their pet, our pet peeves that they press all of our buttons, if we can begin to act as if we love them, presently we will come to love them. So there's your homework assignment for the week. Let me just close by asking this question. Aren't you glad that Jesus bears with you? And actually, he did even more. He went to the cross for you to be your sin bearer. That's what Jesus did for you. How can we not extend a little slack towards his children? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you.